0: You know, when you're watching uh, news or whatever, getting your, you know, looking at, you know, whatever, Yahoo News, I don't know. Where does people get their news? I, the staff makes fun of me because I look at Yahoo News for a lot of my news. But who looks at Yahoo? <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing. Wherever you get your news source, right, is it is it even a surprise anymore when somebody that was once, you know, a, a celebrity, a politician, you know, an athlete, somebody that we once honored and elevated. Is it even a surprise anymore when they come crashing down? Not really, huh? You know, like recently, I think over the past two years, I think, I actually think God is actually shaking us up as a nation that certain things wouldn't be tolerated anymore. And, and I think that some of that has been a really good thing, but man, it's like we're, we're just used to it. You look at like you know, as a Raider fan last summer, Antonio Brown and all of his madness and nonsense. And then surprise, all these horrible things came out. It's like, well, he's, he lives a life of chaos. It's, it's not surprising that other things were following him. But then when Bill Cosby, oh, man, come on, Bill. Like, he was like our TV dad for all those years. I learned to shave when Bill taught Theo how to shave. Like am that's how you do it. All right, I'm going to learn... You know, Cosby. And then, like, even Martha Stewart. You know, that's a little few years ago, but I mean, Martha Stewart. That, doesn't, that lady doesn't look like she's got an evil bone in her. And evidently, she's like Corella DeVille. And then, like, Jared the Subway guy is even having great falls. You know, you're so much so he's in jail now. You know, just another one, and you're another TV celebrity pastor, you know, all these things. And you go, well, you know, it's, it's the times we live in, isn't it? John Maxwell said this. He says, many people with talent make it to the limelight, but the ones who have neglected to develop strong character rarely stay there. Hmm. I think that is absolutely true. Those who have failed to develop strong character can't stay there. You see, this truth, and I do believe that's a truth, it doesn't bode well for our pal Samson, Today, what we're going we're to continue to look at the life of Samson, and we're going to kind of see Samson's highlight reel. These two chapters are really tied together pretty intimately. You'll see in just a little bit. So we'll see his great deeds. We'll see the, the mighty things God even does through him. We'll see his superhero-like strength. We'll even see his stubborn determination. And stubbornness is, is, is a good thing when it's channeled in the right direction. All the stubborn people in here said Amen. Amen. Something we won't see in these two chapters, though, is character. You just don't see it from this guy. He lacks it. And if this thing that John Maxwell points out is true, which I do believe it's true, you just know that this is ominous. Something bad is coming. See, you may be thinking as we look at these two chapters, how can God use this hothead? How can God use this this meathead? Why would God use him? Let's go back to last week. Remember this from 14.4. It's really kind of like a linchpin to the Samson story. It says this, His parents did not know that this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines, for at that time they were ruling over Israel. So the idea behind this is God will even use our stupidity if he must to accomplish his will. Now, don't get me wrong. God loves it when we're willing participants. Don't get me wrong, God would prefer us to say, okay, God, here I am, you know, sign me up. What are we gonna do? What hill are we gonna conquer? Let's do this thing together. I mean, God would love that. But don't get me wrong, God will use our, our, our fool heartedness and our stupidity to get his grand will done if that's all we give him. See, but an ominous warning emerges from Samson's life. Just because God is working through you it doesn't mean he approves of all aspects of your life. And we need to take that to heart because those places in our life that go unchecked and are not surrendered to Jesus, those places are become the potential to become the undoing of our life. So we'll talk about more about that towards the end. So let's look at this first part. Verse 5a, just the first part of this is preachable. Samson went down to Timnah, together with his father and mother. All right, there's something here that I don't want to overlook. So even though this chapter, how does it begin? It begins by Samson telling his parents, I want to go marry a Philistine woman from Timnah, go get her for me. And his mom and dad saying, you know, are you kidding, Samson? Isn't there somebody of our own people that you can marry? So they stand against it because they know it's wrong. But now what are they doing? Just a few breaths later, they're going down to Timnah with Samson to make the arrangements for this marriage. You know, they know what's wrong. They should have said, no, we're not going to do it. If you want her, you go there. We are not going to condone this, Samson. This is going to be to your destruction. This is against God's will. But no, they cave. And they gave their baby boy everything that he's crying for. So remember, Samson's parents were actually some of the few people in Israel who were faithful to God at this time. Why do you think they were chosen? And yet, what are they doing? They're caving into their son's demands. It's not hard to imagine that this was probably the norm in Samson's house. Is it? I mean, can't you picture Samson growing up all through his adolescence and always throwing hissy fits? And every time his parents caving to the things that he wants, Samson wanted something, Samson got it. This type of character doesn't just happen like this. It doesn't come out of nowhere. Usually this is consistent in a person like this. It's likely that the good intentions of Samson's parents actually spo- uh, spoiled Samson rotten. And as a result of, of a lack of character that we see in Samson, it's the cumulative result of a life without discipline. You wonder, how did he get to be this way? Well, a life without discipline will make you this way. A life without discipline will make you an incredibly selfish person. A life without discipline will cause you to think that the world centers around you. No one ever said no to this guy and it's clear by those parents' actions. So parents, if you wanna give your kids something that's gonna far outlast you, work incredibly hard at creating character in your kids. You know, character is so much more important than good grades or how far you can throw a ball. And yet, how much time do we invest in our kids as, you know, get good grades. We'll pay tutors. We'll do whatever it's necessary just to make sure that you can get good grades. Or, man, you're gonna, you can throw a ball so fast. We're gonna, we're gonna pay for lessons. We're gonna pay for training. So that way, maybe you can throw a ball one day and make a lot of money. Don't we invest in that? But do we invest equally as much in character of our kids? And look, I know it's tough. It means we have to parent. And sometimes that's hard. After a long day's work and you're in your room or you're in another room and the kid back, the kid back talks you, and I'm, I'm talking about my baby right now, and I'm like, oh, i got to get up. I can't let this one go. All right, here we go. Get yourself pumped up. Get yourself pumped up. He can't, he can't talk like that to his dad. And you gotta get up and you gotta walk down the hall and you gotta go. All right, what did you just say? You know, you you actually have to do something in order to put an end to character that needs that, that is bad character. See, character is an inheritance that is far better than money. It's far better than money. If you give your kid character, they're gonna make it in this life. If you give your kid character, it's far better than leaving them millions and millions of dollars. Without it, they may get to the top in this world. But you really think they're going to stay there? Without it, without character, at some point in their life, it's all going to topple. We see this with Samson, and we see this again and again and again in our lives around us. Verses 5b through 7. As they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring towards him. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands. And that's pretty cool, huh? Unless you're a PETA person, and then this is horrific. As if he was to tear a young goat. I've never torn a young goat, but I assume that that must be easy <laughs> compared to tearing a lion. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. He went down and talked with the woman, and he liked her. Or right, at some point, his parents are with him. They're accompanying him down towards Timnah, And at some point, they run on ahead. He goes behind. And at this point is when a lion jumps out and attacks him. Now, do you guys remember? It was almost like a year to the week that a Colorado jogger was jogging in the hills and a mountain lion, a young mountain lion attacked him. Do you guys remember that? And then the guy ends up killing the mountain lion with his bare hands. So the story goes like this. He's jogging. And all of a sudden, he sees the mountain lion. Wow. This is, by the way, my worst nightmare. (laughs) And then so the guy does what we're all told to do. He's like, ugh. Because he's like, you know, say like, make yourself look bigger, scare him, you know, start throwing things at him. Well, the guy did that, and evidently it made it even matter. <laughs> <laughs> so the thing jumps at the guy, and the guy, you know, like, probably did this. Ah! The lion bit his arm. He's on his arm, okay? They then roll down the hill together. Brum, 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 brum. Somehow this guy ends up getting the upper hand, he's grabbing rocks, he's grabbing sticks, he's trying to hit the lion with him, like, ur, ur, and he realizes that's not working. So then the guy he must have been a wrestler or something, he ends up putting the lion in a chokehold. <laughs> and he chokes the lion out. So he kills the lion, climbs back up the hill, he's a bloody mess, he goes and gets help. They take him to the hospital, he had to have to take 20 stitches to his face. And some on his arm, some on his wrist. He suffered contusions and a punctured wounds in his leg that probably needed butterfly stitches, but not a certain stitches. So this guy was beat up, right? You know, but at the end of the day, you should have seen the other guy. <laughs> uh, this guy never had to worry about losing his man card, right? <laughs> He'd be like, guys, dudes, let's go get tea. <laughs> that tea, I killed a lion. All right, tea it is. But the worst part of the story is this. People found out that it was a young lion. I know. And they like minimized what the guy did. People started saying like, oh, he's a coward for killing a young lion. And I don't know who you are, but if anything that attacks me or you that could be named Simba and you kill it with your bare hands, you are a tough dude in my book. So here's Samson, you know, he's attacked by a young lion, but it doesn't diminish what takes place here, right? This is an incredible demonstration of power. See, what's different between Samson and our jogger, though, is that in Samson's case, this wasn't a fair fight. Even a lion becomes as little of a threat as a, as a farm animal in this, in this story. See, when a normal person encounters a lion that's attacking them, a normal person ends up usually as lunch. When an exceptional person, like our jogger from Colorado, encounters a, an attacking lion, he has to go to the hospital. When Samson encounters a lion, he runs off to go visit with his girlfriend. <laughs> I mean, he's, not, he's like unfazed. He's not like, I wonder if I should get this checked out. Nah. I mean, he's just like, boop straight to his girl. Doesn't even tell his parents what's happening. Now, how is this possible? How did, how did Samson destroy this lion? See, the lion misjudged its prey. It saw Samson, but what it did is it ran into the spirit of the Lord, not just Samson. So clearly, the spirit of the Lord is the source of Samson's power. See, so many of us think that Samson's like this muscle-bound, buff, hunky dude, right? And it's his strong muscles, and yeah, yeah, God with him on his side, but it was just his big muscles that did it. Or we say, oh no, it was his hair, because if you grew up in Sunday school, he gets his hair cut, and we'll talk about that next week. His hair was his power. Neither one of those is true. Here is very clear. Samson does not see the lion and whip it with his hair. He did not say, take this lion. That didn't happen. It was the spirit of the Lord. Don't lose that fact. See, remember Samson's Nazarite vow. His hair was to be a symbol of his devotion to the Lord, but it never was the source of his strength. God's presence in his life was the source. But when we think of Samson, we kind of think of like Dwayne the Rock Johnson, right? You do. You think think of somebody that's like 350 pounds of just pure muscle and steel. But I don't think that he looked like that. I think Samson actually probably, I'm not saying he looked like a wimp, but I think he probably looked like a pretty average guy. See, if we were to think, oh, it's his big muscles, then what we're doing is we're actually attributing his strength to his natural strength, not to God's strength. And over and over again, the only reason he's able to do the things he does is because God's strength, God's power, God's presence was with him. So that lion, it never had a chance. And in the same way, what comes against you doesn't have a chance See, when we start thinking and remembering this song, this song that we just sang about this, how we fight our battles, when we really realize who we are and we stand in the victories of Jesus, what comes against us doesn't have a chance. See, if you're still playing the part of the defeated, then yeah, it's gonna keep ruling you. It's gonna keep whipping you. But when you play the part of the victor, which is who Jesus says you are, it doesn't have a chance. So what is your lion right now? Is it an addiction is it a crumbling relationships? Is it false accusations? Is it anxiety? Is it depression? What is the enemy using right now in your life? He's trying to take you down. He's trying to destroy you with. My prayer for you this week and today is that that lion that runs into you will run into the spirit of the Lord. That you would turn yourself completely over to the spirit of the Lord. That he would fight through you and in you. And he would tear that lion to pieces through you. Now see, it's not your strength, it's not your power. And we've got to remember this, it's him inside of us. See, when our victories come, and they will come, let us not forget where our strength comes from in the first place. Because the minute you start thinking, man, I'm pretty awesome. Look at all this stuff that I did. Look at how I picked myself up by my bootstraps and I walked strong in my sobriety. Look how I took myself from rags and brought myself to riches. Look at how I built this kingdom all around me. See, once we start doing that, what we're doing is we are setting ourselves up for our fall because we're forgetting where our strength comes from. See, most people, once they begin to believe their hype, they think they're above the rules. Why do you think that all these people... In these recent years have have come out that the scandals that they've been living, because they they bought their own hype, they thought they were untouchable, they thought they didn't have to play by everybody else's rules, and sooner or later, everything crumbled down as those things were exposed. Once again, this doesn't bode well for Samson. Verses 8 through 9. Sometime later, when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass, And he saw a swarm of bees and some honey in it. He scooped out the honey with his hands and he ate as he went along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some and they too ate. But he did not tell them that it was taken from the honey of the lion's carcass. All right, what's going on? Samson is on his way to go back, this time to not just see his girlfriend, but to marry his girlfriend. And he goes out of his way to go and view his victim's carcass. See, there's like curiosities going on right now. He's probably walking. Hey, this is pretty close to where I shredded that lion. And so he goes out of his way to go revel in his victory. See, the problem with this is because he had a Nazarite vow, which explicitly tells him do not touch dead things. There's only like three rules. Remember that? Don't cut your hair, don't, don't eat anything that comes from a grape or drink anything that comes from a grape. And don't touch dead things. That's it. Three easy things. I mean, all of us, I suppose, can do that if we really had to in this room right now. So here he is walking down the line and saying, hmm, I need to go check out that lion. See, people who took their vows seriously, they never would have done this. They would have went a mile out of the way to make sure they never ran into it. They say, oh, yeah, that lion's probably there. I'm going to go the opposite way people who had Nazarite vows, it said that they wouldn't even go to their family members' funerals because they didn't want to become defiled, even by touching or being in the presence of a family member's dead body. And what is Samson doing? He's going towards it. See, this is foolishness on Samson's part. But once again, what's Samson driven by? He's driven by his eyes, isn't he? This is the reoccurring theme in Judges. His eyes and his own selfish desires are driving this man because that is his God, the things that he wants. So what does he say? He says, I'm just going to take a peek. I'm just going to take a look. I just want to see it. He wasn't planning on touching it after all, right? Well, that is until he saw that there was honey dripping inside of it. So it says that he scooped the honey out with his hands. He doesn't even try to like get a stick. Look at that, that's pretty cool. And he scoops it out with his hand. This is not only really gross. This is honey from a dead thing. But he's defiled himself according to the Nazarite vow. But it seems like it's no big deal to him, does it? I mean, it's just a dead animal, he tells himself. I mean, who cares if nobody else gets hurt, right? See, don't we justify a lot of sin that way? I mean, who cares? Nobody's really getting hurt, right? Right? See, while unknowingly, his parents in this process, they also become defiled because he shares this honey with them too. So eating food out of corpses generally is looked down upon in cultures. <laughs> Most cultures, if you were to go say, hey, want this honey I just scooped out of a dead animal? They're gonna say, nah, I pass. No thanks. But according to Leviticus, it wasn't just gross. This also made them unclean too. So this is no small thing for a person whose total existence is supposed to become a symbol of total devotion to God. His existence is supposed to draw people not into defilement, but into holiness. And he's being just the opposite of what he was created for. Once again, he only had three rules and we're gonna find out he can't keep any of them. But this is how sin works, isn't it? James 1, 13 through 14 illuminates this story, I believe. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Hmm. So something that seems so small, right? Something that seems so small. What it does, it begins to capture your attention, and once it's captured your attention, it actually then motivates your actions. So there's a progression to sin, according to James, and what is the end progression of, that began with just a thought, a small thought in our head? The end result is death. Now, when we're saved in Jesus, I'm not trying to say that we're saved by our works, not grace. But we sure can usher in a lot of death into our lives here in this life. We sure can bring about a lot of death into the relationships we have because of sin. We sure can create a lot of death in our, in our, in, in our workplaces, in our schools, because we give way to sin. We see this again and again and again. See, that small thing that's really, really easy to justify, a little lie here, a tiny little peek there, taking listening to the gossip, tasting that thing we shouldn't taste. Whatever the sin is, in its smallest form, it's just the bait. That's what it. I mean, any fishermen in here, fisherwomen? You go fishing? What do you do? You put, you put a tiny little worm on a hook, and a tiny little worm can catch something like this big or even huger, right? I'm assuming, I'm assuming, what's that, like, big worm, big fish? You put that dumb worm on the end of your hook, because the fish is stupid and the fish here you go fishy and the fish is like oh I'll just take a little taste I'll just nibble it a little bit is that a hook oh I don't care I'm gonna take a big taste now Ah." and the next thing you know you're pulling it up and then sometimes it's too small and you're like ah you're too small I'm gonna throw you back and that same dumb fish will come back and you'll catch it twice are we different from the fish do we, are we different from the fish when we keep running towards our sin thinking that we can actually just take a little taste? So don't be like the fish. Don't be like Samson. Run from sin. Don't go out of your way to flirt with sin because you minimize it. Samson fell for it and he broke his vow and that vow was no small thing. But the worst part of it, he doesn't care. His heart now is so hard, he doesn't care. But remember, God will work through our stupidity just as much as our willingness if necessary, and that's exactly what we're about to see. The next part I'm going to paraphrase, these next, from literally 1410 all the way to 1520 because they're part of the same whole. For the rest of these two chapters, what we see is the outworking of Samson's character. You really see who he really is here. I you know, if you work side by side with somebody, day in and day out, you get to know who they really are, Right? What helps you know that person most? When the fire gets turned up a little bit, right? Hardships, trials, those things show you who a person really is. See, this we're going to see with Samson. We're going to see who the real Samson really is. So Samson's hubris and his quick temper, it's going to be used by God in this story. As remember going back to 14.4, the occasion to confront the Philistines, Essentially, God is going to use a blood feud that emerges between Samson and the Philistines to separate Israel from the Philistines. This is God's ultimate desire in the first place. So Samson's not going to be a willing participant leading armies against the Philistines. He's going to use Sam- Samson's weak character as the, as the method of getting what he wants. So Samson has a wild bachelor party. The text says he threw a feast. That word feast in Hebrew is actually a drinking feast. It's a drinking party. Probably sounds similar to some of your bachelor parties, huh? So he's having a drinking party. Now, what's the problem with that? This is part of his vow. Samson has a vow. He's not going to drink anything that comes from the vine. And he's essentially having a kegger. You know, he's like, all right, guys, let's go. This is from the, this is the best wine money can buy. Come on, let's get together. And this is what sin does. Once again, you see the nature of sin at work. One sin usually begats another sin that begats another sin, and they continue to increase and increase and increase. If you don't intentionally put an end to it, if you don't repent, confess, and turn from it, then it's going to just keep going. It's like a train on a train tracks that's been fueled by coal. It's going to keep moving in that direction unless you put the brakes to it. If sin, according to James, leads to death, then we're the ones with our own shovel digging our own graves. One scoop, one sin at a time by carelessly allowing the things to go on. See, not only is he having a drinking party with these guys, but who is he partying with? So they gave his Israelite brothers and, you know, family members. Come on, let's, let's do it. Who is it? It's 30 Philistine men. So here's Samson. And so far, he's done nothing to separate himself from, from the enemy of Israel. He wants to befriend their men and marry their women. What a judge, right? So here's the party. It's going on. They probably drank way too much. And Samson, I'll spare you my Barney Fife drunk voice, Samson's like, guys, I got an idea. I'm gonna make a, I want to make a bet with you guys, with his new companions. He says, I'm going to give you a riddle. And if you, well, forget, I'm going to do my drunk voice. And if you can solve my riddle in seven days, then I'm going to give you 30 gar- linen garments. Now, linen garments would be like, you know, a super nice suit in our, in our terms. So he's like, if you guys solve my riddle, I'll give you each a brand new suit If you can't solve my riddle in seven days, then you guys owe me each a suit, and I'll walk away with 30 suits. They all agree, because stupid things sound like great things when you're drunk. (laughs) And he gives them an unsolvable riddle. It would be equivalent to me giving you a riddle as to what I ate for breakfast today. You weren't there, you have no idea. Something tasty from a cup. Hmm, what could it be? You know, this is what Santas doing. He says, "Out of the eater, something to eat; out of the strong, something sweet." What's the answer? It's lion and a honey. Lion, a lion and honey. So, not only is this a bad, unsolvable riddle, what's worse is he's actually now making light of breaking the Nazarite vow. He's making a joke about his sin. So imagine that. Imagine the hard heart of somebody that actually makes makes fun of the things they do that are betrayal to God. It's clear that his faith and the promises and the boundaries that he was born into mean nothing to him anymore. Nothing to him. That's the faith of my parents. I'm going to do my will be done as I see fit in this life. And yet God is so faithful to him, isn't He? Even though he clearly doesn't care. God is still with Samson. So his companions, they get this riddle and they go up to Samson's wife now and they say, listen, you better tell us the answer to this riddle or we're going to kill you. Good companions, right? Very much like Samson, there's no difference between Samson and his enemies or the enemies of Samson at this time. They're both thinking in the same violent ways and they finally, she's like, Samson, please tell me. If you don't tell me, how could you not tell me? I don't know why she just not say, they're going to kill me if you don't tell me. It doesn't say that though. So he finally cracks. He gives her the answer. They come to Samson. They say, what is, on the last day by the way, what is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? Now, if you just told somebody the secret to your riddle and then your companions figured out the secret to the riddle after you just told said person, hmm, so he deducts and he says something very romantic. It's Valentine's Day just Friday, right? Men, there are a lot of great poems that you can quote to your wives from Scripture. Song of Solomons is a good one. Just pick something out of there. There's some Proverbs, maybe even a couple of Psalms that might be nice. Do, do not ever quote Samson's, Samson's Psalm to his wife. It's this. If you'd not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. So sweet, huh? He's just a brute. So he gets super magic. So verse 19. Then the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. He went down to Ashkelon, struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of everything, and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. Burning with anger, he returned to his father's home. So what's he do? In a fit of rage, he goes to a nearby Philistine town, and he murders 30 of their men. Not so he could set Israel free. He doesn't go into their town saying, "I declare freedom for the Israelites," like Braveheart. He doesn't do that. He goes in so he can settle a bet. See, and of course, if have you ever dressed a baby, like little little babies, it's the worst dressing a baby. They're like, "Mm -hmm." then you have to like grab their arm and like lay them on your chest and get an arm through and another arm through the legs because they don't help. Now this is tweetable. I've never undressed a dead person, but I assume it's even worse. And there's 30 of them here. I imagine like it's like weekend at Bernie's. He's trying to get a, their pants off and he's got them picked up and he's like shaking them to get them out of the shirt. That's a very intimate experience. Here is Samson now, who shouldn't touch dead things. He goes from touching a dead lion to now he's touching 30 dudes. Dead bodies. We see this progression that nothing matters to this guy anymore. But once again, we only see that it's possible because the spirit of the Lord is empowering him to do so. With every fit of rage that Samson unleashes on the Philistines, there is a widening gap between the Philistines and the Israelites. Samson pays his debts, and then he doesn't even return to his wife. He's so angry, he's like, I'm going to my dad's. He goes home. I imagine it's like midnight. Can you imagine his parents? Like you finally get your kid married off, you know? This kid who was painting your butt for all these years because of how stubborn and proud and you know he was, and all of a sudden knock knock knock. You open the door and you're like, "No! Why are you here? You're married now." <laughs> so he goes to his parents to stay. And he won't go back to Timna because those people aren't his buddies anymore. I hate you all. So things get even worse. He decides after a couple days, he cools off. He's like, You know what? Maybe I kind of you know, you know, exaggerated things a little bit. Maybe I shouldn't have you know, flipped my lid so much. I'm going to go back. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring a goat to my wife, and we're going to celebrate. I'm going to hang out with my drinking buddies again. It's like Jerry Springer all over it. He gets there, and he finds out that her dad gave her to one of his drinking buddies. The dad says, I didn't think you were coming back. You were so mad. You left here so angry. I I just thought you were gone forever. So he says, i got an idea. How about you have my younger daughter? She's more good looking than the older one anyway. So what's going on here? These people are horrible people. All of them. This particular character in the story is appealing not to like some romantic love or anything, good character inside of Samson. He's appealing to the evil character, the evil nature inside of Samson. He assumes that this is all about lust anyway and that this will suffice. Now, Samson, he's like, she is better looking, but I'm still mad because Samson's problem was he never wants to be proved wrong. He never wants anybody to have the upper hand on him. So he gets even madder in 15.3 says this. Samson said to them, this time I have the right to get even with the Philistines because maybe he realized that was a little overkill last time. <laughs> I will really harm them this time. So what does he do? He goes to a field and he ta- goes through the painstaking work of capturing 300 foxes. You know how long that would take? I would assume days. Like he's like nursing a grudge, huh? You know, 158. Yeah. 201. You no, know, he's you just going and going and going. He finally gets 300 foxes where he thinks this will suffice. He ties their tails together, and then the creep sets them on fire. And he lets them loose into the Philistines' fields. Because this brought this is like a weapon of mass destruction. Hot foxes. It'll burn everything down. So he does that. He sets the entire fields on fire. I can picture him, like, if this is a movie, I would be the flames with Samson's face, like, going... Mm. He destroys an entire year's worth of the Philistines' food. So this does not settle well if you're a Philistine. Because nobody likes to have a year of their food burnt up. So what do they do? They blame Samson's wife for all of this. And then they set her and her her dad on fire. They're the same people. The enemies of God and Samson himself, they're still acting the same way. But it doesn't end there. Samson gets angry again, so he attacks them for doing that, and he murders a bunch of them. So both parties refuse to ever get be even. Nobody's willing to walk away. Everybody keeps upping the ante and escalating the violence. And don't we see this in life again and again and again? Why do you think gangs have a hard time stopping shooting each other? The same pride that's here with Samson is the same pride that drives them. That's why they keep shooting at each other. Well, you shot our house, so we're gonna go shoot your house. And it keeps going and keeps going. But don't think that you're not incapable of doing this. If you're not willing to stop and say, I am done with this violence. I'm done continuing to promote this, this division between us until you're willing to say enough is enough and I'm willing to reach out in peace, it's gonna keep going. So what does Samson do? After he, quote, gets even, he flees to the wilderness of Judea, Where a thousand men from Timnah then track him down. So like overkill. They're realizing we need a lot of people to stop this guy. They come into Judah. The men of Judah see this army coming. They're all, whoa, what's going on? And they say, we're here for your judge, Samson. So they say, okay, we'll go get him. We'll tie him up. We'll hand him over to you. You'd say, come to Samson. And they they say, Samson, don't you know that they are oppressors, that they rule over us? So they're saying, keep the peace, man. It's okay that we're suppressed. It's okay that we're oppressed. It's okay that we're under their rule. Just keep the peace. So Samson says, if you tie me up, do you promise that you won't kill me yourselves? They say, yeah, we'll just tie you up and give you to them. he says, okay, deal. So he goes, and this is what he bound. It says this in 14 and 15. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax and the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and he struck down a thousand men. Just like that, poof, Samson goes, and goes crazy with the jawbone and kills every one of them. He goes on to say for the next 20 years, Samson, quote, led Israel in the days of the Philistines. So Samson is truly the anti-hero that Israel didn't ask for. But God's going to use him nonetheless to accomplish God's plan, isn't he? He's going to use him to accomplish his purposes. God will go through great measures to rescue us, even from situations we don't even know we need to be rescued from. And God will use an ass if he needs, like Samson, and like the jawbone if necessary, in order to rescue you. That's the type of God he is. He will stop at nothing to get your attention. He will stop at nothing to free you from the oppression that you have willingly surrendered yourself to. He will stop at nothing because he is the rescuer of this story, not Samson. See, this story leaves us with a lot of questions, some of which we'll wrap up next week as we conclude this story. Some of us will have to dig deeper at another time. And some of us, we're just gonna have to wait till heaven so we can say, God, you gotta tell me what was going on with Samson here. Fill me in on the dirt. I need the details. But here's my closing appeal for us today. Compromise with sin will always limit your God-given potential. We talked about compromising with the world last week. That will always limit your God-given potential. But now let's bring this inward. Compromising with your own sin will limit your God-given potential. Sure, God can use you. But imagine what God could do through you without the compromise. Sure, God used Samson, but imagine what kind of judge Samson could have been had he dedicated his life to holiness, had he dedicated himself to God and took his vows seriously. Imagine what could have happened at this time. He could have been the greatest judge of all times. Imagine if he wasn't always living for himself. Imagine what your life could look like. Not living completely for yourself. But turning yourself over to God, saying, your will be done in me and through me. See, compromise will also always set you up for a great fall. It is inevitable. James warns us of this, and we're going to see this play out next week. But don't be fooled. Just because you may be doing some great things, and God is actually maybe even moving through you, it doesn't mean that you're going to be exempt from the inevitable fall. See, the thinking is this. If God is using me and I'm actually kind of blessed, therefore my low character must be just fine with him. He's okay with it. He's okay with me taking a peek. He's okay with me dabbling. He's okay with me tasting. He's okay with me entering into sin as long as it doesn't hurt anybody, right? That's the justification. But just because God gifted Samson and used him doesn't mean that Samson's life was completely pleasing to God. See, there's a difference It's possible to operate in the gifts of the Spirit and to be devoid of the fruit of the Spirit in your life. The gifts of the Spirit are given to us to do the work of God in this world. The fruit of the Spirit is to be like Jesus in this world. Fruit will always be immensely more important in any one of our lives than the gifts. So once again, don't get me wrong, that doesn't mean the gifts are not important But your doing should come from your being. Imagine how powerful your life could be when your doing and your being line up. See, when your doing doesn't match your being, it actually is dangerous. You're setting yourself up for the same fall that Samson is about to take in some way in your own life, in your own circumstances. We see this again and again, don't we? When doing and being don't line up. We see it in Samson's life. We see it when celebrity pastors fall. We see it in our own lives when we don't take our own calling seriously. We get ourselves in a mess, don't we? And we usher in death into many things. See, God may kill the lion. He may defeat the army through you. But the greatest battle of all is allowing him to slay the flesh inside of you. See, that not just your physical body. What I'm talking about is the sinful nature, the desires of our heart that aren't in alignment with God. That is the ultimate battle. And he will never do it unless you willingly say, Lord, step on this battlefield. Step on this battlefield and rid me of these things through the power of your name. Overcome these sins in my life. You've given me your spirit. Now spirit wage war on these things. Tear them apart. So how do we do this? How do we grow in the fruit of the spirit? So we may be mighty in the spirit inwardly so our actions will be fueled by the inward work of God. How do we do it? Cultivate the spirit inside of you. Strive to live in your holiness. Grow in the character of Christ. Be cautious. Is this something that Jesus actually would do or is it not? Am I compromising in some way in my life? That's not of God. See, this work can be done through the spirit. He will grow His fruit in you. He desires to do so. Secondly, start stacking wins. Stop making bad choices that create another bad choice after another bad choice after another bad choice. End that right now. Say, I'm done intentionally walking into stupid decisions. Start stacking wins. One win after the next. And it might be so hard and it seems so impossible to stack a win. But just stack the first one and see what God does through that. And then stack the next, and then stack the next, and see how the fruit of the Spirit is actually begins to grow in you when you consciously make decisions that align your life with God's. Simply do the right next thing that's in front of you. And lastly, if the worship team wants to come up, trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. I mean, really, this is what it's all about. You cannot do any of this without Jesus. You can, in your own strength, your flesh will win. But when you trust in Jesus, when you rely on him, when you live for him and you dedicate yourself to him and you take those vows of faith seriously to him and you cling to him, you will be faithful. He will do what he was going to do. He's, he will be faithful to finish the work he started inside of you. That's the kind of God that he is. So let's stand to our feet right now. And we're going to end with one last song, but what I'd like you to do is have a time of inward reflection of what's going on inside of you. Where are you falling for the same traps that Samson fell for? Where are you flirting with sin? Take this moment right now to to say to the Holy Spirit, this battleground, my heart, my soul, I'm welcoming you onto it, Lord. Do whatever you need to do that I may be victorious inwardly before I'm victorious with anything outward. Lord, fight my battles inside for me. Do what I can't do, but give me the courage to begin to make steps that align to your will. Trust him. Cling to him. Use this as a time to rededicate yourself to him. He'll be faithful. He will, because this is his desire. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the story of Samson that we can learn from his folly. Thank you that we can learn from your goodness in his life. That you are a God who pursues us no matter what. You're always there. You're calling us and you're bidding our lives that we would carry our cross. You're bidding us to turn to you, to repent from our sins. You may experience a life of blessing and joy and power in this life. We don't have to wait for heaven. We can have it right now. So God, for some of us who we know that we are dabbling with sin, we're, we're peeking, we're, we're, we're flirting, we're tasting, we're, we're, we're trying to, to have both our cake and eat it too. Lord, let us put an end to this before we get completely caught up in it. And for those of us who are wrapped up in it, Lord, I pray by your great strength, it would be shredded by the spirit of the Lord today that we would see victory in these areas of our life that we would turn it over to you and we would walk accordingly. In Jesus' mighty name we pray.